So they're having just a massive impact. Oh, and I absolutely love it. Pastor Chris and, and Pastor Monica, uh, they just, they felt called to, to be doing that. And uh, I mean, I actually, I remember when I was younger as a teenager, like our church, we went down and we worked with them on something. And I remember just the impact that it had on me, uh, that this is something that they were doing. And, and I'll tell you what, like, I think it's easy for us to see something like this, see a video, hear stories, uh, and think, well, yeah, of course that works. You're in inner city Minneapolis. Um, but what I really wanted to do today with Pastor Chris was just highlight how much of this can absolutely be things that we take into our consideration, into our heart, and, and do right here. Like, there, there's nothing unique about being in an urban setting versus a rural setting. Like, loving your city, loving the people around you, um, it's the same. It really is. And so I, I want to just kind of, uh, I want to challenge us with that today. And this kind of goes with right where we're at, this idea of, of local impact. How do we have a local impact? And, and I want to challenge us with that. I, you know, we spent two weeks talking about this idea of, of how do we have an impact. And, and we talked about using our actions and serving. Like, obviously, you can see how much they are serving the community that's around them just in their everyday life and what they're doing. We talked about using our words to build the, the kingdom of God and how when we share our story, when we build a mat, building a mat's the idea of just getting someone to a place where they can encounter God. I love that story from Reggie. He's like, I showed up for a free turkey. All right, a free turkey is a mat. A free turkey is a way where someone might show up and say, hey, I, I would love to have that. But now they're in a place where they can encounter Jesus in a way that they maybe couldn't have in their everyday life. Or at least that their life wasn't really allowing for them to do that. And, and so uh, I just, I love this story. I love what they're doing. Um, and I want us to look at like, what can we do? What can we do to make an impact and, and to have uh, just such, such a good relationship with the community that we are in? All right, so I want to pray, and then we're going to kind of move on. So would you stand, if you're willing, if you're able, would you stand with me? I want to pray, and we'll kind of move on here uh, in our service. So God, I, I pray right now for Pastor Chris, Pastor Monica, as they are both just sitting in an airport right now. God, we pray over them. We pray over their ministry. We pray over um, ICCM Life Center and the work that they're doing. God, the communities that they're in, Lord, we pray that you would just give them favor with the city, give them favor with those neighborhoods. God, we pray that they would just continue to have that same impact, that the things that they've done over the last several decades here, Lord, would just be the beginning, that the best is yet to come for them. So we, we just pray that over them, God, and we pray that we would be able to see that and be challenged and be spurred on by that as well. We ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. What I want to do today is the last couple weeks we looked at what does it look like for you and I to have an impact for God's kingdom locally, but as an individual, like with what you do and with what I do, the way I live my life, the way you live your life. Today, what I'd like to do is what does it look like for us as a community to have an impact? Like something that we can do, not, maybe we can do it on our own, but we do it better together. Something that we really need this community to have the impact uh, that we want to have. All right. The first way that I think that we do this and it's going to sound uh, maybe a little interesting here. First way is this, is to be unified. All right? 
One of the things that I've heard uh, quite a few times from people outside the church, people that don't attend church, you talk with them and uh, you kind of just ask them, you know, hey, well, what's your thoughts on church or, or do you go to church anywhere or anything like that? Um, and, and people have asked like quite a few times, well, what's, what's the difference between all the churches? Like even just in our town, we have, you know, this many different churches. What, why are there that many different churches? Aren't you guys all kind of worshiping the same God? Aren't, don't you all believe in Jesus? And why, why are there so many different churches? And why is it that churches seem to be arguing with each other and fighting over things? And why is it that people even inside one church can't seem to get along and they, they're arguing and there's drama and there's all these different things? Like, well, why is that happening? You know, now whether that is true or not of, of churches in general or of our church, we need to understand that that is the perception that a lot of people have. And the perception matters. Like, if that's the perception they have. All right, and we may have very good reasons to believe differently from other churches. Maybe we don't. Like, there's just different things like that. And, and that's okay. But, but to believe differently from another church that's down the road is understandable. I think when that starts to actually overflow from just believing differently to actually kind of arguing, fighting, and even belittling other Christians in other churches... That, that's a different level. Two weeks ago, we were looking at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And in that chapter, John chapter 13, uh, there, there are these kind of more well-known verses, and we read these a couple weeks ago. I want to read them again. It says this in verse 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right, and I think these verses are often used to talk about how, as Christians, we need to love. Like, we need to love the people around us. We need to love uh, whoever it is and different things. And, and that's true. But when we actually look at these verses in the context that they are in, all right, this, this isn't necessarily Christians loving someone uh, who doesn't follow God. This is actually talking about believers loving each other. That's the context of this. Jesus says, when people from outside of my church, people outside from my followers, when they look in at you, they should be able to see your love for one another, and that is going to be the distinguishing mark of someone who follows Jesus. Well, Jesus is saying here, like, it matters what people from the outside think and how they view his followers. It does. And instead of always being known for our love for each other, there's a bit of a reputation, I've heard this a few times, that, that Christians are the worst at shooting our wounded. You know, what does that mean? You know, it's, it, it's a phrase that just says basically when, when someone's down and out, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it used to be kind of around horses. If a horse got injured, you know, you'd be like, okay, we're going to kind of put it out of its misery and, and all these different things. Well, Christians, we have someone who ends up being in a, in, in a place in life where they're just down and out of luck and something's happened or they've made a choice, doesn't matter, and they're in a place where they're struggling. And so often, instead of loving people around us, Christians are quick to just dismiss and say, well, your own choices led you to that. You know, you kind of, you made your bed, now you have to sleep in it type of thing. Or, or we just kind of push people away. I remember we had uh, baptisms, and during one of them, uh, there was a lady, and she was talking about her story with me, and she said, well, I grew up in the church. Um, I, I went to church every week, and then as a teenager, I ended up getting pregnant. 
And at this moment in her life, when she needed people to come around her and love her and encourage her more than anything else, she says, I, I was judged. I was just looked at completely differently. And people talked behind my back. And that moment really set her back in her walk with God. It wasn't until years and years later that she was able to kind of come back into a church and actually move closer to God. How can we say that we follow Jesus and that Jesus has a better way to live when we act the same or sometimes maybe even worse than people outside of the church? When we do events like We Love Our City, uh, I think one of the best things that we're doing for our community is actually showing that different churches can come together, that we can work together to accomplish a shared goal. All right, when we allow things to rip us apart, we are showing the world that God's kingdom actually isn't any different from the kingdom of this world, that we aren't any different from the rest of it. Unfortunately, like we live in a divisive world. We live in a time when the wrong statement can cause a massive uproar and a fight. All right, and this especially, like we know this, this especially surrounding anything that can be perceived as political. Like people are so divisive around this. All right. Because when we, when we allow politics to begin to enter into our relationship with God, when we allow politics to enter into the church, what we are doing is we are automatically stepping into a mindset of us against them. And that's, that's never the mindset that we are supposed to have as Christians. All right, like think about it. Think about how we do this politically. And, and oftentimes, no matter what party you might be part of, what you do is you think of the other party and you don't want to think of them as a person. So you basically kind of come up with this character of what the worst person in that political party could be like in your mind. And then you just assume everybody's like that. Oh, those Democrats, oh, those Republicans, oh, you know, whatever it is. And we, we immediately remove kind of the humanity from them and we just start to say, no, they're this person over there, they're this evil group, they're this, whatever it would be. When we are called to just see other people as image bearers of God. And it is so incredibly divisive. There is a Pew Research study that actually found this. Uh, maybe you, you didn't know this, but both political parties actually rely heavily on Christians, all right? Here's why I say that. 82% of Republicans identify as Christians in their belief. 65% of those who don't have a leaning either way consider themselves to be Christian. And 63% of Democrats consider themselves to be Christians. They identify as Christians. Okay, so real quickly with simple math, you can tell all those numbers are over 50%. You know, and some of this is because our country, uh, our country right now, I think is somewhere around, it would still say, uh, upper 60s to 70% of people would say that they are Christian. Now, are that many people in our country Christians? I don't know about that, you know. It's, it's one of those things where we just kind of identify as that. We say that, but still, like, that, that is the number that says, I am a Christian. So here's the deal. If Christians said, enough is enough, and we are not going to bash other people. We are not going to resort to name-calling. We are not going to demonize anybody. If Christians stood up one day and said that, then the majority of our country and the majority of both political parties would all of a sudden 
begin to shift that direction. But when we know how divisive we are in our country, we know that what that means is Christians are not doing that. We are not standing up and saying, I will not be like this. We are joining in. We are part of it. This means that if we don't like the way that our country is treating each other, like we actually can do something about this as Christians. All right, now here's the thing. Unity does not mean that we believe the same on everything. Okay, so as a church, we're called to be unified. Well, what do we do with that when we believe differently from other people? Unity is a group coming together as a whole, standing together. And the problem is, is we start off unified. We start off saying, okay, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came, lived, died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, throw in whatever you want there. And Christians are in agreement on that. But instead of stopping there and saying, hey, we can be unified over some of these big issues, we keep pushing it deeper and deeper and deeper. And we begin fragmenting ourselves and driving walls between us. How are we supposed to be known by our love for each other when we are willfully entering into these, these places where it's us against them and they are the enemy? Something I love about our church is we actually do have a lot of different beliefs in, in this room right now under this roof. All right, we do. I've sat and talked with a lot of different people in our church. I know that we have different beliefs, but we can gather together and we can lift up one voice, one unified voice, and we can worship God. All right, there's a, a specific belief that I know, uh, depending on what denomination, what church you're part of, uh, it'll vary from church to church, okay? And that is the idea of uh, how do we interpret scripture? What do we view as a pastor? And do we believe that both men and women could serve in that type of a role as a pastor? Okay, and this type of belief is actually, it's, it's very divisive in a lot of places. And, and churches believe differently. We believe differently about that than other churches in town. All right, um, and, and in our denomination, as we look at Scripture, here's the thing. The reason why there's different beliefs is when you look at Scripture, you can really see things that are backing both of those beliefs, kind of based off of how you are looking at Scripture. All right, you can. Like, if you think that this is just cut and dry and easy, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm sorry, but, like, you're wrong. There's a reason why churches land in different places on this. All right, and... In our denomination, we believe that women can serve in any role of leadership as a pastor or anything. We have Pastor Aaron here. She preaches on Sundays. Now, here's the thing. I know that we have people in our church that that is not your belief. I know that. I do. And I actually love that we are here together. And I actually don't really feel this massive need to argue with anybody and try and convince anybody of something one way or the other. You know, I know where I land in this, and I'm always willing to talk about it. But the reality is, I love that in our church, we have people with different beliefs that come together and worship God. It's the same thing when it comes to spiritual giftings and, and other things like that. Like, churches believe differently. And I know that we have people in our church that believe differently on these things. But we are able to come sit together, praise and worship Jesus. And I love that. I love that. We have so many opportunities to be divided in our church if we would let it happen. We do. And I really love that for the most part, we have not allowed that to happen. 
When we show the world that we can be unified despite differences, we show them that the kingdom of God is different from the rest of the world. All right? The second way that we can build the kingdom of God locally together as a group is by meeting the needs that God has called us to meet. All right, now that may sound really generic and simple, um, but here's the thing. I want to explain this. All right, back in the Old Testament, back in Deuteronomy chapters 14 and 15, God told his people to take care of the poor and the marginalized around them. Okay, I'm going to read a few verses. They aren't even going to be on the screen behind me here. Uh, Deuteronomy 14 and, and verse 28. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town, so they can eat and be satisfied. Keeps going on, chapter 15, verse 4. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. And then down in chapter 11, there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Okay? And, and this whole chunk here, this is all in the middle of actually God talking about forgiving debts. Okay? Our God is all about forgiving debts because every single one of us has a massive debt of sin that we could not pay for and he forgave. Okay? And this is, they had this thing where actually every seventh year, all debts were forgiven. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, a bunch of you are sitting here and be like, okay, well, who's going to pay for that? That's what you're thinking in the back of your head, isn't it? All right, but I, I love this. Like, God, God, God says every seventh year, you're going to forgive debts. Like, to the point where, um, and it, he actually even goes as far as saying, if someone comes to you and they're in need, and they ask to borrow money, and you are six and a half years into this seven-year cycle, don't hold back. Just because... In half a year, you have to forgive that debt. Like, if you know they can't pay this off back to you before that happens, like, you still, you need to do this. Otherwise, he says, you will be in judgment. And so, this idea, and it was pretty radical for their culture back then. And honestly, it still is pretty radical. Because as we've recently had, you know, some debt forgiving happening, and people are all over and they're about it, and they're talking about things one way or the other, like, it's a radical thing to forgive debts. But that's what our God does. So God's people were called to take care of the people around them, specifically other Israelites, but also anyone considered a foreigner among them, basically any non-Israelite. Fast forward to the first century when Jesus was on the scene, his followers in the early church. The temple, the religious leaders, they are supposed to be taking care of the poor. We just read the, the laws that God was telling them, but they were failing to do it. And actually, the early church then, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, we see them beginning to sell what they have, sell their possessions, and take care of people. That's what they do. And what they're doing is they are stepping into the role that God had called his people to be doing, but his people, the Israelites, were failing to do. And they were doing this so much so that the world around them noticed few hundred years later, 4th century, we have the Roman Emperor Julian, and he said this about Christians. The Christian faith, actually, he called them atheists. Do you know that? Christians were called atheists back in the day because we didn't believe in the Roman gods. So he's like, the atheists, he means the Christians, <laughs> funny how that works, uh, has been specifically, the Christian faith has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal 
that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. And that the godless Galileans, again the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. That's amazing. The Roman Emperor Julian saying this about the early Christians. They cared not only about their own people, but they were taking care of the other people around them. They had such an impact. Based off of his observations, Julian started demanding that their religious leaders do the same. And he actually, he said something that I really like. This is, this is one of the most like God-centered statements I've heard that has nothing to do with God in the person's mind as they're saying it. He says, even though it may seem paradoxical, it is a holy deed to share our clothes and food with the wicked. All right, sometimes I think when we start thinking about giving, we want to give to certain groups and not other groups. We want to give to certain people and not other people. We want to worry about what are they doing with what I'm giving them. But he says this, uh, that, that we would give to the wicked. We give not to their moral character, but to their human character. Therefore, I believe that even prisoners deserve the same kind of care. That is one of the most Christian statements I've ever heard by a Roman emperor that despised the Christians at this time. Like, he, he had this kind of love-hate, like, man, they are so good at what they're doing, but he's like, why are they putting us to shame? He says, we don't give to their moral character, we give to their human character. The early church was so impactful in their generosity that there was an account that I had read, and I tried finding the book again. I don't like putting things in my message that uh, I don't have, like, cited, or I know exactly where I found it and things. Uh, but I would read this book about the early church, and I, I couldn't find it again here. But it had this story of these, this group of Christians in this town, and they were having such an impact on their city. That some of the leaders, they, they got upset about this and they wanted to arrest all the Christians and remove them and get them out of there. So they show up with the guards to arrest the Christians and the citizens of the town begin to surround the Christians and say, no, we're not letting you take them. That's the type of impact that the early church was having on the world around them. Locally, where they were. Could you imagine that? If for some reason there was some type of group that was coming to our church on a Sunday morning, to dispatch of us, to arrest us, get rid of us, whatever it would be. And our community finds out about that. And they show up and surround the building and say, no, we're not going to let you do this. They mean too much to us. They do too much for us. We can't let you take them away. Could you imagine that type of impact that a church could have? That's what the early church had. That's why people went to the early church. They, they were so drawn to it. There was something about it. What an amazing impact on their community. We still have this calling on us today. We are called to take care of people that are in need around us. All right, and this is something we can do on our own, but honestly, like, it is better done in community. We can pool resources. We can have a greater impact we also try to uh, get like a better system to really help people. I, I know, again, people get upset about this idea of like handouts or people cheating the system. Okay, first off, like you don't need to get mad about that. Our job is to be generous. What someone does with your generosity does not make it any more or less generous. Generosity is when it's in your hand and you let go of it. 
Generosity doesn't have anything to do with what happens to that afterwards. We give not because of someone's moral character that we're helping, but because of their human character. They're image bearers of God. Secondly, that, that, that's why if you have that issue with like, oh, I don't, I don't know how the money's going to be handled, things. That's, that's why it's so good that we can do this as a group, that we can do this as a church. We can try and really get it to the people that need it most, and we can try to actually help them out of a situation that they're in instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it. All right, as a church, we have a benevolent fund that we use to help people that are in a rough patch. And, and many times, we, we first are looking at people in our church that need help. And that's not a selfish thing. Our church is like a family, and we want to be there for each other. We want to help each other. All right, but, but when we look at Scripture, it talks a lot about taking care of your community as well. All right? And it talks about taking care of people that are outside of your community. And Scripture says orphans and widows. That's kind of the phrase they use. Uh, and that may still be true for us today at times. But the reality is what they're pointing to here is a group that has been marginalized, that is overlooked time and time again, and doesn't have the means to necessarily take care of themselves and care for themselves. All right? And that still is true for us today. And we want to be there for people. All right? In Sock Center, Ruby's Pantry is actually ran out of our church in Sock Center. And there's a guy that runs it, and he goes to the church there. Uh, and we actually use him for a lot of our benevolent stuff. We'll send people to him. Because I have found this over, over time. Uh, $50 in my hands is $50. Like, if, if I have $50 and I want to go buy food for someone, I'm going to walk into Coburn's and I can buy $50. That's what I can do. But there are some people that are connected to a lot of different people, organizations, different things. $50 in Shane Brown's hand, who runs Ruby's Pantry, is going to look a lot more like $150, $200. Okay, because he has connections. He can do stuff. He can get things in a way that I can't. All right, and that's, that's why when we come together, when we do things together as a church, we can have an impact. And we are called to do this. All right, I think too many churches, we spend time putting on little parties for ourselves and fundraisers to keep the lights on in our building. And then we wonder why people don't want to be part of what we're doing. Too many churches spend too much time doing things that no one needs I'm going to be honest. And then they turn around, and then they have a, this big job of trying to convince everybody that they do need what they're doing. You should come to this. They're like, I don't need that. We need to have our finger on the pulse of our community. We need to know what the needs are. And we need to meet those needs. Callie Christensen is a pastor for uh, the United Methodist, kind of in the area. She pastors like four churches. She is so incredibly good at this. She is so good at this. She's amazing at knowing the community needs and meeting them. When people think about church, they shouldn't think about necessarily doctrine and what we believe always right away. Like that's, they, they kinda, that's the only thing they think of with church. Like inside of that, they should also be thinking about the relationship that the church has with the community. If we were to close our doors this week, would the community be hurting without us? If you individually were to move away, would the sphere of influence that you have, the people that you interact with, would they be hurting without you? Are you living that type of life? Are you having that type of impact? 
think too often we want to be part of something that's beyond just like basics and fundamentals and all these different things. Like, we need to be, we need to be part of just the ground level work. Would you stand with me as we begin to close here? Listen, the, the three weeks of local here, all right, as you've been listening to this, I've been saying some pretty basic stuff. In fact, I think some of it is so basic that, that some of you guys might find this boring or obvious or not needed, all right? But here's the problem. It is so basic that a lot of us actually just don't even think that it's necessary. It's so basic that we don't get excited and passionate about it. You wanna know why professional athletes are professional? Why they kind of make that cut? Like, think about this. They spend so much time practicing the fundamentals over and over and over and over. That the basics of what they do, they never miss. Like, that when it comes to the basics, they should always be able to be on. And then they can move on and begin to develop all these other things. Like, as Christians, where are we in some of these basics? Because the problem is so many Christians, they, they think that they're beyond the basics and fundamentals. Right? Like, we only want to be part of something big. We want to be part of something exciting, something extraordinary. We want to look back and say, wow, like, look at what I did. Look at what we did. But I think in the pursuit of the extraordinary, we miss the small things that we are called to be faithful in. And someday, God is not going to say, well done, my good and extraordinary servant. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Faithful. Are we faithful in some of these basics? If our church, if the 120 people that are here this morning all walked out of here and said, I'm going to put these basic things into practice in my life. I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom of God locally, right here where I am. Our city would be changed. If we all said, I'm going to serve people daily with my actions. I'm going to share with people what God has done in my life. I'm going to humbly lower myself for the sake of others. I'm going to invite people to a place that they can encounter God. I'm going to share what Jesus has done for our world. I'm going to be unified and love the believers around me no matter what church they go to or no matter who they vote for. I'm going to take care of the marginalized and overlooked portions of our society. If we all did that, all of us, every single one of us in this room, our town would be transformed. And we would actually start to see right here what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. We'd begin to see that a little bit more and more. My hope and challenge is that you would honestly and authentically right now look at your life. Look at the fruit of your life, the impact that you are or aren't having on the world around you and make the changes that you need to make, that I need to make. Take a moment here. Think about your life. Think about the people you interact with on any given week. How much of an impact are you making? If you moved away this afternoon, this next week, 
Would there be people that are struggling because you're not there in their life? You're not there making a difference. If that's not the type of life that we are living as followers of Jesus, we are missing something. I know this is a, this is a massive call to myself to step up and do this. And I think this is why this morning I felt God just speaking to me like, you need to surrender more. You need to surrender more of your life and you need to do it more often. Where can we grow? Where can you grow? I want to pray and then we'll do one last thing. God, I pray that for every single one of us that's in this room, that we would truly be able to authentically look at at our life and, and be able to say, there are areas that I need to grow. There are things that I can do differently. The way that I spend my time, the way that I treat the people around me, the way that I utilize the resources, the money, the everything that you've given me. God, I pray that you would just begin to, to speak to us right now. God, that through our church, through the churches of Long Prairie, that we would actually have an impact on the city around us to the point where the city even recognizes that.